Welcome to Book Delight with Chrissy Wright, the podcast where readers can be all kinds of ways and books really are magic. I'm your host, Chrissy Wright. I'm an elementary teacher librarian in the Pacific Northwest. On this show, I aim to connect you and the kids in your life to more books you love. If the idea of blowing up your kid-lit TBR appeals to you, you're in the right place. It is the last week of the month, if you can believe it, so today I'm sharing a Reading Raves episode, where I recap my favorite kid lit that I read during the month of February. I'm still kind of working towards finding my reading groove in 2024, and as a result, I have a pile of graphics for you today. When I'm having trouble kind of settling into something, I often hit graphics, and I actually love how doing this builds my understanding of why kids reach for graphics too. I enjoy how the art helps me get immersed fast and how the dialogue and quick page turns give me that feeling of progress. Plus, they're just really fun to read, you know? Of the 14 books I finished in February at the time of this recording, nine made the cut as being worth sharing with you. Today, I'm recommending seven graphic novels and two middle grades. I will share them by category and then in the order that I read them within each category. Let's kick things off with graphic novels. The first graphic novel that I read this month was Break by Kayla Miller. This is book six in the Click series of realistic middle school stories. How lucky are we that Kayla Miller keeps serving up this series and that it is staying so dang good? In this installment, it's spring break and Olive is stuck leaving her friends to visit her dad at his new apartment in the city. She is not thrilled. This one does a great job of addressing kind of that push-pull of tricky friendships in middle school. On the one hand, wanting social connections and that feeling of being part of a group, but on the other hand, assessing whether those friendships are actually positive ones. It also uses a light touch to address the pros and cons of social media, to track your life and to connect with your friends. The fictional platform featured in the story here looks and feels a lot like Instagram. Part of the magic of this series is that it includes these issues that us grown-ups want to help our kids navigate wisely, but it does so with a warm and gentle hand that does not feel preachy to kid readers. Olive's thoughts and predicaments really hold center stage, and she's just a totally relatable, truly lovable protagonist. This series is beloved in my elementary library, and I can't wait for more. That was Break by Kayla Miller. The next graphic that I read this month was Poppy and Sam and the Mole Mystery by Cathon. This is book two in the Poppy and Sam series, of which we have four books so far. Goodness gracious, is this short chapter graphic charming? Can we say that an early reader is cottagecore? I'm doing it. This one is. She clocks in at just 48 pages, but she packs a satisfying and sweet little mystery that your primary readers will just gobble up. In this installment, Poppy and Sam are helping their friend Mole search for a lost pair of fabulous pink glasses. Lo and behold, the woods are bursting with an assortment of strange lost things. So you have to read to find out how Poppy and Sam help these lost treasures find their home. And of course, 
help their dear friend Mole in the process. This one will be a home run for your readers who love the tone of the Sophie Mouse series and the format of maybe a Sir Ladybug or Shelby and Watts. That was Poppy and Sam and the Mole Mystery by Cathon. The next graphic novel I read this month was Ellie in First Position by Brian Freshy and Elena Triolo. Hello, work in translation. I am hoping that graphics in translation are something we're going to start seeing even more of. Last year, I fell in love with Cross My Heart and Never Lie by Nora Dasnes, which was translated from Norwegian. Now, we have Ellie in First Position, translated from Italian. In this story, Electra, aka Ellie, is new at school. Mom is convinced that the best way for Ellie to make friends is to do a sport. The thing is, Ellie hates everything and honestly isn't very good at the sports she tries, which leads to some very unfortunate moments. This sports trial and error plot kind of reminds me a little of the graphic novel Chunky, but with the tone of two other graphic novels that I love, Cross My Heart and Never Lie or The Love Report. It must be graphics in translation day because The Love Report is actually translated from French. Now, in this book, Ellie ends up rediscovering a love of ballet, and she embarks on a quest to get mom to see dance as the truly athletic endeavor that it is. Along the way, we also have kind of a plotline of an underdog advocating against bullying behaviors, and also a sweet little first crush story. In my house, this book got rave reviews from my 9 and 11-year-old daughters and has been reread multiple times, and I'm looking forward to adding it to my library. That was Ellie in First Position by Brian Freshy and Elena Triolo. The next graphic novel that I read this month was... The Adventures of Invisible Boy by Doogie Horner. Yes, his name is Doogie. Okay, people, we have an addition to my running list of favorite graphics of 2024. And honestly, I was totally surprised by the fact that I fell in love with this one. The cover gives kind of mad scientist adventure vibes, which is not what I'm personally typically drawn to. But it's short, only 176 pages, and I'm always looking for more books to recommend to kind of my action-adventure graphic novel readers, so I figured I'd preview a little bit of it so I could give a decent book talk to those kids. Color me surprised then when it was just charming and fun while, yes, still containing an evil scientist neighbor and an experiment gone wrong. I devoured the whole thing, and it will now be kind of a Swiss army knife recommendation in my library. I think this one will appeal to so many kinds of reader. In this story, it is Stanley's first day at a new school. It is not going well. He kind of wishes that he could disappear, actually. He's then shocked when an exhibit at the science fair goes wrong, and he actually does disappear. Yep, he becomes invisible. Read to find out how Stanley navigates his reluctant superpower and uses it for good in the neighborhood. Here we've got a reluctant superhero, an evil kid nemesis, who maybe has a little good in him after all, a relatable brother-sister dynamic, 
And of course, a page-turning adventure, or maybe misadventure would be more accurate. The thing that made me fall for Stanley right from the jump is the way author Doogie Horner characterizes him in the opening pages. For example, there's this one spread where Doogie earnestly tries to pick an outfit for the first day of school and settles quite confidently on just a tacky sweater and mismatched shoes, and he doesn't quite get that this would be socially a very bad idea. Don't worry, his bossy older sister sorts him out. But you just see him as this kind of bumbling, sweet, earnest guy. This would be a great wreck for your fans of books like Hunger Heroes, your pal Fred, and Leon the Extraordinary. That was The Adventures of Invisible Boy by Doogie Horner. The next graphic that I read this month was Ink Girls by Marieke Nijkamp. This is a feminist historical adventure story about the power of the press. The fictional setting is not specified in the book, but I'd say that it feels kind of like a middle-age Italian city. In this story, 11-year-old Cinzia is a printer's apprentice. In the opening pages, her mentor, the printer, is imprisoned for publishing accusations against the ruling family, and Cinzia embarks on a quest to find her sources and vindicate her. Cynthia becomes part of kind of this unlikely trio of girls who stealthily navigate the city and search for the truth. For my personal reading taste, I rated this one three and a half stars. The plotting seemed a little redundant at times for me and I ended up skimming some passages, but I am ultimately so glad that I read it because it will be such a strong recommendation for the right reader. I'll be handing this one to my readers who are reading significantly beyond grade level. So we're talking my fourth and fifth graders who are reading more at the vocabulary and text sophistication of, say, eighth grade. So they want this challenge and complexity in their text, but they don't want some of the more adolescent content that other texts aimed at that grade level might contain. This is actually a really common request I receive from parents, too. The vocabulary and setting here really require some heavy lifting. It would be too much for some of my readers, but it'll be just the right challenge for others. I'll be giving this one to my fans of historical fiction or just the pure history buffs, the kids who gobble up books about castles or maybe Joan of Arc. This one will give them the content they love, but with that heart-pumping, page-turning fun of a graphic novel adventure story. That was Ink Girls by Marieke Nishkamp. Okay, I'm really excited to talk about the next one. It is Bunny versus Monkey by Jamie Smart. This is the first in what I believe is a six-book series so far. It was originally published in the UK, and it's becoming easier to purchase here in the US, and I am thrilled. I discovered this one at my local independent bookstore when I was looking for a Jola Bocaflood book gift for my dogman-obsessed first-grade son. When I saw this, I knew it would be the book for him. But in typical fashion, he wanted nothing to do with it for months. 
So many parents have this problem, right? We have a book we know is just right for our kids, but we also know that they won't read it if we tell them they should. So we end up doing funny things like mysteriously leaving it laying around the house in just the right discoverable spot. I had had enough waiting around for my son to get interested in this one, so I smuggled it out of his bedroom to read by myself. And of course... He caught me, then developed this urgent need to read it for himself right away, so I could not. In fact, when he picked it up, he finally noticed that the blurb on the cover says, quote, perfect for fans of Dogman. Upon seeing this, he declared, well, we'll have to see if that's true. Lucky for us, we ended up reading it together, and his official verdict is that yes, it is in fact perfect for fans of Dogman, and we'll be reading the whole series ASAP. So I have gushed about this, but you are probably wondering, what the heck is it? I would describe this book as if Wiley Coyote invaded the Hundred Acre Wood. In this book, Monkey is sent by scientists to colonize space, but his flight goes wrong, and instead he lands in the woods just over the hill. Oops. Monkey comes in hot with his colonizer mindset, though, and is determined to conquer the woods for himself. The thing is, the woods are already inhabited by a lovable group of critters, among them our hero, Bunny. What ensues is an episodic collection of Monkey's schemes for domination and Bunny's feeble yet effective rebuffs. The chapters are truly bite-sized at around four pages each, and they read more like episodes of a cartoon you love than one big plot. I think this actually makes the book even more accessible for young readers. They're not trying to sort out plot elements across hundreds of pages. Instead, they can just dip in for the latest adventure between two characters they know and love. That was Bunny versus Monkey by Jamie Smart. All right, the last graphic novel I read this month that I want to tell you about is Spirited, Day of the Living Live by Liv Livingston. That's a lot of live, right? This was another hugely delightful surprise this month. I had tried this book earlier because I happened to have an advanced reader copy, but I'm learning that I should stay away from graphic novel ARCs. They're printed with black and white sketches, and without the vibrancy of full-color art, I tend to kind of glaze over and not connect with the art or the story at all. I got a copy in from my local library of the finished copy, though, and since I'm always on the hunt for more books to put in the hands of my voracious spooky readers, I decided to give it a skim. Like The Adventures of Invisible Boy, which I mentioned a few minutes ago, I was in from the opening pages. Here we have another underdog protagonist with a voice that is genuinely warm. I didn't expect this level of warmth in a spooky story. In this story, protagonist Liv has moved to a literal ghost town where she is the only living kid at school. Yes, her name is quite literal, Liv Livingston. She befriends the only other non-ghost kids in school, a werewolf and a vampire, and together they take on the mean girl ghost 
cheer squad. Read to find out how Liv comes to terms with her new home and her place in it. This is a series starter. Book two actually comes out in March with book three following quickly in July. The author on this one is not named, which I found interesting. It's listed only as the protagonist's name. For me, this usually means a book is fine, but not great. So this one just totally smashed my expectations. I would love to know more about kind of the making of it and the story from the publisher's perspective. A bonus here that I mentioned is its length at only 144 pages with large, easy to navigate panels. This would be a great pick for your younger spooky curious readers too. The tone really matches books like Bat Cat and Misfit Mansion. That was Spirited, Day of the Living Live by Liv Livingston. Let's move on to talk about middle grade. Okay, is 2024 the year of the middle grade mystery? So far, all of my favorite middle grades of the year have a mystery at the center. And we have even more to come with the books publishing later this year that have already been announced. So today I have two of these fabulous mysteries for you. One heist and one slightly spooky. The first middle grade I read and loved this month was The Misfits by Lisa Yee, illustrated by Dan Santat. I read this one on audio with my kids and we adored it in that format, though reading on the page with Dan Santat's art would be a good time too. A theme of this publishing year so far seems to be established, indeed award-winning middle grade authors already know and love trying out genre fiction to great effect. It feels like they're having so much fun with their stories, and that sense of fun is palpable on the page. I had this feeling with The Liar Society by Alison Gerber, and I have it again here. In this story, protagonist Olive Coben Zhang is shipped to an island boarding school described as a, quote, reforming arts school. That phrase really captures the zany tone of the book. It's not a liberal arts school, it's not a reform school, but some oddball misfit lump in the middle. At school, Olive finds herself an accidental member of an elite, not quite spy group of kid investigators. During a fundraiser that takes place on the island, a multi-million dollar diamond is stolen. And Olive and her squad, dubbed the Misfits, are on a quest to solve the heist of the century. This book has a breathless feeling of adventure, coupled with charming oddities like strange inventions and so many cats. A debate of the internet when this one released in January was whether the book is more Mysterious Benedict Society or Spy School. And I say that if that is the debate we're having, we are in a very good place indeed. This is the first in a planned series. Hooray for us. That was The Misfits by Lisa Yee and Dan Santat. The second middle grade book and the last book I have to share with you today is The Curse of Eelgrass Bog by Mary Averling. Say hello to the newest addition to my running list of favorite middle grade of 2024. This is also my favorite, what I call hopeful horror, that I have read since The Clackety. 
by Laura Senth. This book is wildly atmospheric. And it has that level of atmosphere across two different settings. We have the Unnatural History Museum, where protagonist Kess lives with her brother. And we have Eelgrass Bog. It's just outside town, and it is the rumored home of witches and demons and worse. The house's mood is bleak and ramshackle. It's where Kess and her brother are trying to muddle through life and make ends meet while their parents are long gone on an alleged research mission to Antarctica. The bog feels more shifting and mysterious. This story packs some of the elements your spooky readers will jump at. It's got witches, demons, a curse, a mysterious bog from which people may or may not return, and of course, missing parents. But what I perhaps loved most is how the mystery shifts and deepens as the story progresses. In the same way Kess might sink into the literal bog as she explores it, we sink deeper and deeper into the mystery. I'm not going to tell you too much plot here because uncovering its layers is one of the true pleasures of reading this book, but I'll add that in addition to the atmosphere, a real highlight for me in this one was this gentle, dearly told first crush story between Kess and her new friend and fellow explorer, Lilu. This book is a multi-layer quest to uncover family secrets and to break a curse. You're fans of the Clackety, the Sinister Summer series, and the Small Spaces series are gonna love this one. That was The Curse of Eelgrass Bog by Mary Averling. That concludes today's Reading Raves episode. Be sure to come back next week for the March forecast episode, where I'll be sharing the 10 kidlit books releasing in March that I am most looking forward to. If you liked what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and share the show with your kidlit loving friends. If you want more book delight in your life from me, Chrissy, the best place to connect with me is on Instagram at Library Chrissy and newly on TikTok also at Library Chrissy. You can also follow the show at Book Delight Pod and subscribe to my free monthly Kidlet newsletter by visiting librarychrissy.substack.com. The February issue of my newsletter actually just published. Um, so if you want kind of a visual or written rundown of a lot of the titles I also talked about today, today, you can hop over to my Substack and read that now, again at librarychrissy.substack.com. If you want more book talk from me between episodes, you can get a weekly Friday treat in your inbox from me by upgrading to become a paid subscriber over on Substack. For $7 a month, you are helping to pay the costs of producing the show, which are a real thing. And they also get you extra resources like book lists, roundups of books that have received starred reviews each month, bonus reading raves from me, and more. This week, I am reading Across So Many Seas by Ruth Bihar. Today, I want to leave you with a quote from a grown-up novelist who I would argue knows a thing or two about what we also need from Kidlet. Kylie Reed, author of novels like most recently, Come and Get It, says, quote, a novel should not leave you with a thesis. 
I think a novel should reflect the deep parts of human behavior in such an accurate way that a wormhole forms. I'd say this would make a pretty good position on some of the best picture books. So let's try that again, substituting picture book for novel. A picture book should not leave you with a thesis. I think a picture book should reflect the deep parts of human behavior in such an accurate way that a wormhole forms. What do you think? This week, I'm wishing you a reading life bursting with picture book wormholes. As always, thank you for listening and happy reading.